Hey there, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss Zelda lore. I'm your host, Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. This is part three of Question Mark of our remix series on Breath of the Wild. Last we left off... We were uh, starting the game. Yeah, we're, we're going to... We're going to start at the game where the game starts. Link is dead, and now he's not. You don't, you don't think Link is dead? Well, I mean, he's not dead at the start of the game. Uh, I, he died, though. He was mostly dead. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Is this turning into a Cowboy Bebop conversation? I, where I, you, where we have the thing where somebody comes up to me and insists that... No, I don't think Link was dead the, the end of the series, though. That did happen. Whoa, spoilers. spoilers for Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, um, I'll see about bleeping all that out. I, I thought this was going to be a Princess Bride discussion. What? Because he was mostly dead. He wasn't completely dead or whatever it was. I've never really read The Princess Bride. Or watched it? It's been 20 years since I watched it. Well, there's a part when... No, I got it. I okay. got the gist. It, it's kind of like what happens to Link. Yeah, Zelda is very clear when speaking to Robbie and Creeper Bardman that if they don't get linked to the Shrine of Resurrection, he'll be actually dead and they can't bring him back. I think he's actually dead. Really? Why is that? Much like at the end of the series, Cowboy Bebop, <laughs> when <laughs> and people were like, this is an ambiguous ending. He's like, no, it's not. He that nobody has ever called the ending to Cowboy Bebop ambiguous. Oh, and they I, surely have. No, th- no, that mm-hmm. didn't happen, and you're making it up. No, people me. have. People, people have debates about whether or not. I've heard debates about whether or not at the start of the series. Well, it's all a dream, you know. I'm going to have to bleep so much of this conversation out. I'm glad that we get to experience it, though. Book of the Medora. point is, Link died and was resurrected back to life. Yeah. Mostly dead is a fake concept. I just I just want to establish that Link is a revenant. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought we were going to say that dead is a fake concept. Well, yes. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that we've hit the we've hit the, the, the absolute height of where this is going to go in terms of how we talk about it. How does the game start, Crystal? Link has just finished a long, luxurious bath. Uh, and then nice he gets, spa session. And he gets a notification from his iPad saying it's time for the bath to end. So he steps out of his fancy bathtub and picks up his iPad. I don't know if that was through his iPad. It explicitly was not. It's through Wi-Fi wireless. <laughs> no. Do huh? it right. Wi-Fi wireless? No. Mm. Wireless fidelity? Cam's just glaring at the microphone right now. I, I keep reacting to it as if it's your Zelda head. Zelda gives him a psychic message to wake up. Thank you. <laughs> okay. God. Link to the past. Yeah, like yes. in a link to the past. No, it's a link to the past, which is the Triforce of the Gods. It's a literal, li- it's, it's a callback, a literal link to the past of the events of Triforce of the Gods. Right. You, you see. Monica, that joke was for you. I'm sorry. I'm too tired to get it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have made it. It's all going wrong. So so we open with <laughs> with Zelda calling to Link, and it's definitely Link. Yeah, she says Link. 
It's not, you know, ass Your name. Butts. Right. It's not my name. It's not Zelda. Ass butts. It's not my dude. Right. And it's a golden light, which is instantly replaced with a blue mechanical one. Yeah, basically Link sees the light of the goddess Hylia speaking to him with Zelda's voice, but he doesn't remember. He has forgotten to whom this voice belongs, though it is familiar to him, as if speaking to him from across a great distance. This is the trippiest intro. He opens his eyes and he looks up and he sees the blue light of the chamber in which he was previously held. Yeah. And it's really strange because it's not something that you really make a connection to until you reach the heart of Hyrule Castle. Because as we mentioned last episode, Ganon has built itself its own chamber of resurrection. This is the strangest intro, though. Yeah. Because this room is just very alien looking. I don't know. Do you remember when in Majora's Mask you fall down this rabbit hole and you fall through all these clocks and glowing neon mask signs? That happens like two minutes later. Okay, fair. I guess this is a hell of a cold open, as Zelda games go. Mm-hmm. I just remember watching a video of this, I guess, during E3, and it was just strange. So, Link gets up, and Zelda kind of talks him through how to get out of this damn cave. Did Zelda eject him out of the pod? I don't know. It's possible. It's like she's reaching the end of her rope. Because for the past hundred years, she's been holding down the spirit of Ganon. And maybe she's like, all right, I can't do this much longer. And she's like, oh, and she checks in on Link and she's like, yep, vitals looking good. Let's just get that open. But then also it, the Chamber of Resurrection may have just gone ding and out he pops. And she's like, oh, thank God. Crystal, which version do you like? I think it's more likely that Zelda will come up early because Link isn't actually restored to full strength. That would make a certain amount of sense. You don't think that maybe his lack of full strength is just a necessary side effect of the chamber? Possibly. A hundred years is a very uh, convenient time frame. It's also a very long amount of time to spend without moving. Yeah. It's a wonder he can walk. That's why there's blue juice. It has anti-atrophy serum in it. And it can only work just so well for a hundred years. The thing about Link, though, he's kept his instincts he doesn't have the stamina he doesn't have the strength hp or the strength i guess but his his timing is if you're holding to the best played player um very good yeah probably not where it was in the course of the memories that you recover but he's still a bad 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 man in comparison to other legend of zelda protagonist characters Link can only go into witch time for, like, three seconds instead of, like, 30 minutes. Yeah, something like that. He's also remarkably calm. I don't know you, but if I woke up and I was um, half naked and... Covered in blue goo. Yeah. Underneath an alien light. I wouldn't just calmly walk over to the iPad resting over there and go, okay. Oh, yeah, you'd be the one arguing with the golden voice coming from the sky, yeah, maybe just for some answers. Well, Link does go over to the iPad, which is the Sheikah Slate, and Zelda's like, you should really pick that up. And so he does pick it up, and he is registered as its user, which means that Zelda might not have been registered as its user, 
But also, if she was registered as its user, then she hit the reset button before she handed it over to Robbie, and Robbie left it there for him? Yeah. Does it actually say registered? Yes, it does. Okay. Well, through the hundred years, the iPad has lost its camera function. Yeah, as well as a few others. Well, then it, those oh, right. already those degraded. Yeah, okay. So the final feature, the camera, kind of went kaput. Right. So I can understand that the memory was totally corrupted. Yeah. Link has to work his way out of this place, and he gets himself some ratty old pants and a ratty old shirt. Do you think Robbie and co. left those for him? I, I think that's textually what happened. Why are they so crummy? They've been sitting there for a hundred years. See how your pants look in a hundred years. And your leather boots, because those are something that don't just degrade when they're sitting in a dry spot is leather boots. It's a wonder he had any clothes left for him at all. So he walks through a puddle. This room is double sealed, by the way. This room is especially built to have like five different surfaces that Link can walk up on top of while he's wearing shoes. So you can hear the particular tech that they put into the game in terms of how different your footsteps sound across different surfaces. In a game story way, this room is also an elevator. How do you mean? For the DLC. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. It's on top of the DLC dungeon. Link gets out of the damn Shrine of Resurrection. Not knowing that it's an elevator. Okay, no, he doesn't know that it's an elevator, but he gets out and he looks out across the world. And this is where the player is introduced to the openness of the Breath of the Wild. You see that mountain? You can go there. (laughs) You can. Though I think that this is qualitatively somewhat removed from the same statements being made about, say, Skyrim. Because moving in Breath of the Wild is fun. That's true. It's like Sonic Adventure 2, Knuckles levels. I love the Knuckles levels. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, there. Are, wait, is this is this a Let's Place thing where other people don't like the Knuckles levels? Well, what I'm saying is that Breath of the Wild is a spiritual successor to the Knuckles levels. And, like, are the shrines just... The emerald shards? Yeah, the shrines are kind of like the shards of the master emerald. Yeah, okay. Sure. Sh- sure. Yeah, that makes sense. This so is can, also the you second. You can climb on basically any surface and you can glide anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. This is where the logo actually appears for the game. Yeah. It's There's a, g- a brief title at the start in plain font, but this is where the actual logo shows up with yep. all the nice graphics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. The title at the start is just The Legend of Zelda. And very plain text, too. It's a strange feeling opening for a Legend of Zelda game. Immensely. I was worried. A little bit. Because of how strange it felt? Uh-huh. That's fair. I mean, it's a strange feeling game compared to the rest of the series in a lot of ways. I wish it had maintained this tone for longer. Ah, how would you have seen the game go if it had maintained that tone? Just to keep that weirdness... I would have removed one particular scene because, like all things, this tone was ruined by King Rome. Yes, I think <laughs> that we that I might know the particular scene to which you're referring, but we might as well move along so that we can reach it. Speaking of whom, Bad Dad has been dead for a hundred years, and he's just hanging out on the Great Plateau waiting for Link to wake up. Well, what else are you going to do when you're dead and your kingdom is ruined? And you're a shit. So... After panning over, and first you see the castle, then it pans over and you see, it's clearly the Temple of Time, 
Well, and, and your eyes aren't drawn so much to the temple as they are to the old man. Right. Some jerk who was staring directly at you. And then when he sees you staring, he walks back to his fire and sits down. And conveniently, there's this little path that leads right over to him. And I think that this moment coming first out of the cave and walking down the path towards Rome is one of my favorite moments in any video game. Because I immediately go into a crouch and start sneaking around and trying to grab bugs off of trees and shit. The tutorial is really gentle in this. It it It's slow, but it's only as slow as you want it to be. It feels good. What's the building that Rome is standing next to? Isn't he just standing underneath an outcropping of stone? Yeah. Yeah, but what's behind him? Oh, uh, well, Monica mentioned that it's probably the Temple of Time. Yeah. What's that, Crystal? It's the Temple of Time from Ocarina of Time. Huh. You know- That's all ruins. Rome refers to it, this, the Great Plateau, as the birthplace of the Kingdom of Hyrule. And Mm. I think he calls the Temple of Time the holiest place in the land. I've written this down here somewhere. I'm sure that you have in that- absolute cacophony of your handwriting we'll get there sure temple is the site of many sacred ceremonies which fell into a state of decay a hundred years ago i wonder why he says a state of decay but when you walk over to it as you can it has been blown apart by guardians which have been killed breaching the walls yeah Going back a bit, sorry, we forgot to talk about the iPad. Did we need to? Yeah. What? When you pick up the iPad, it says, you've never seen this device before, and yet there's something familiar about it. The first textual callback to Link's missing memories. Yes. It's also from his perspective. Yes, that particular description is rooted in his perspective, presented in the second person. Thank you. Back to Jerk Dad. And that familiar building. Jerk Dad is like, hey, you should probably walk around a little bit. See what's going on. I'm not going to tell you anything useful, though. See ya. He does help with a lot of the tutorializing on the Great Plateau. Realizing that her father is being exactly as helpful to Link as he was to her, Zelda's like, hey, Link, check out your Sheikah slate and then go to the place that's marked with the dot on your map. And Link is like, oh... Okay, I understand that much more than the cryptic bullshit that the old man was handing out, like a useless big old piece of garbage. (laughs) Do do you think Zelda spoke to Rome or speaks to Rome? Absolutely not. Would you? Crystal? Absolutely not. Not even a little bit. That that hurts. She could, she's talking to Link right now. Her dad's right over there. Rome knows that she's doing it too. Yeah. I like to think that Rome can hear her, but she's specifically not speaking to him. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Link goes over to the place indicated on his map, and on his way, he sees some bokoblins, which are the puniest minions of Ganon, and he fights them with sticks, and later with clubs, and rusted swords, and if he's real lucky, a traveler's sword, or even a soldier's sword. And that's the good shit. I don't think we really need to get much into the idea of the progression of tiers of power amongst weapon types. No. Unless you would like to, Crystal. No, I think we're good. Okay. So Link makes his way over to the tower, and he has to kill a bunch of bokoblins or else sneak around them to get inside of it. And then the little pedestal that he walks up to is just like the one in the Shrine of Resurrection. And the pedestal, when he gets near to it, says, Hey, you should put the Sashika slate in here. And Link 
being a person who is easily instructed to do things, does so. And the pedestal takes it and says, Sheikah Slate recognized. Watch out for falling rocks. And then the Sheikah Tower shoots up out of the ground for like 100 meters. And the same thing happens all over Hyrule. And the different shrines dotted across the land also light up. And stuff has just gotten a lot more interesting. But also the fact that all these things light up is taken as a sign by certain parties that do not wish to see the hero returned. It's a pretty big signal. It is the signal that's seen all across the entire continent. It's pretty funny that the local population isn't that unnerved by it, though. Yeah. Like, different people remark, oh, hey, they turned on. Yeah, weird. Look at those lights. <laughs> or oh, it changed color later on, but... Eh. Isn't it kind of cool, just the idea that the return of the hero is marked by... Like 150 fires across the land suddenly springing to life. He's a specialist boy. It's like it comes on and in Kakariko Village they go, oh shit, he coming. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, the Sheikah Tower also distills local information into the form of a, a liquidish glowing drop. Yeah, it's liquid data. Liquid data, which hits the iPad. And transfers its data. And it's like current information, not like from 100 or 10,000 years back. Yeah, it takes a second to get the topographical data from the land around it, which means it has some kind of sensor array that can cover a significant portion of the surrounding geography and then feeds that directly into the Sheikah Slate. I love the liquid data. The liquid data is such a good aesthetic. It's so (laughs) sci-fi. People will say that Zelda is firmly in the fantasy realm. But there's there's very, like, soft sci-fi. It's very cool soft sci-fi. Uh-huh. So Link's got him a map now. And he descends the Sheikah Tower. And at the bottom, Hyrule's first self-described vol cell is like, hey. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> what? He, he, he's, he's when not- the queen died, he called himself a vol cell so that he would let you know that he could get some, but he doesn't want to. Oh, my God. This is a little bit harsh. Is that too much? No. Crystal, was that too much? No. (laughs) Um, He descends in a paraglider. Yeah, he's got this, uh, he's got a a paraglider thingy in his hand. He's like, hey, you want this? If you want this, you should totally go over to that shrine. I hear there's something cool in there. Maybe I'll trade it for whatever you find. We did kind of skip the part where when Link is on the tower, Zelda speaks to him again. Oh, yeah tells him to try to remember that a hundred years ago shit got real and, and bad look over there that's ganon you need to get over here and you need to beat up ganon please and link is like huh and it's interesting because link has a few different dialogue options that he can select in different places throughout the game but in this particular sequence on the great plateau the only thing that he does is agree to go after this problem right he could be reticent about it a little bit but as soon as he hears that ganon is a thing that needs to be stopped and that this disembodied voice that he sort of recognizes says he has to do it he just assumes he has to do it and he's going to go do it well the options specifically are that the the king asks if He's going to make his way to the castle, and it's I do or dot, dot, dot. Right. And that's actually something that is an option with the old man 
several times, actually multiple times when you encounter him. Just trading quietly with him? Just three dots. Yeah, the ellipsis. Yeah. Which, do you take that to mean, do you think that's just the game sort of making fun of Link being the silent hero? Or do you think Link is suspicious of the old man or remembers something of the past and just has that unease? What's your read, Crystal? On the old man's reaction to Link? No, no, no. On Link's, uh, some of his dialogue options are ellipses. Like maybe, I'd say like six or eight of them are. Though it's mostly only when reacting to the old man. This is all dialogue options on the Great Plateau. What do you make of the fact that some of Link's reactions are just ellipses? He doesn't know what to say because he doesn't know what anyone's talking about. I just but he's assumed, trying to play it off cool. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I just assumed he was being real taciturn again. I thought he was suspicious of the old man. Yes, it's like he's not. He he knows what he wants to do, but he doesn't want to share the information with this weird old man. Right. Well, okay. Yeah. the The old man asks at several points about his intentions and does he recognize the voice up there? And you can be honest, saying like, "No, I don't remember," or just the three dots. Somewhere something. deep inside Link's memory. Way further down than his consciousness, he knows he doesn't like this old motherfucker. I though, like that theory. Though he could not say why. That, that's the one I like to run with. Okay, that's what I figured. And the guy's like, go over there into them shrines and see what you can get. And Link goes into the shrines. And he kills some bacoblins on the way there, but he goes into the shrine. And he restores the power of the Sheikah Slate to, I think the first one is Magnesis. Yes, it's the shrine of Amino. Which is Aonuma as an anagram. Uh-huh. And he meets with the Sheikah monk who's been sitting in there since the time of the sealing of the Calamity. And he's like, hey, I've been waiting for you. I spent 10,000 years meditating so that I could manifest this spirit orb. Here you go. And then he just kind of dies and blows away on the wind. The monk is making a triangle with his hands. Yes. And the other ones on the... Plateau also are. I would have done this after the fourth one. Sorry. No sense of storytelling. No, no sense of whatsoever. Okay, so Link comes out and old man's like, what'd you find in there? And Link's like, listen, asshole, give me that paraglider. I got to get to the castle. And Rome's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't remember saying that it would be just one piece of treasure. And you, the player, are like, yes, you you actually did. By implication. That, that, That is a thing that you said. And Link's just like, this is you changing the deal. And Rome's like, whatever. There's some more, like, shrines around here. Get more of it and maybe four of them. And then we'll see what we can do about it. By the way, if you want to find them easier, you know you can actually teleport. And Link learns that he can teleport. So he teleports back to the top of the Sheikah Tower, which allows him to look around. And then he can teleport back to the ground. He can teleport back to the Shrine of Resurrection. Some wild shit. The ability to just fast travel whenever you want with no limitations in a Zelda game. You Going get turned into the- liquid data. You kind of do. Do you think the towers help to beam him around? I guess the shrines do too. Yeah, they're all like information nodes. Satellites. Signal boosters for each other. Going back to the monk. Sorry. Okay. Um, he describes himself as a humble monk blessed with the sight of goddess Hylia and dedicated to helping those who seek to defeat Ganon. Blessed with the sight of God- Goddess Hylia? Yeah. How'd that happen? Hylia's not really known for a vision. I mean, she can see through time. <laughs> yeah, but she's usually portrayed with her eyes closed. 
Because <laughs> she gave away her vision, I guess. Yeah. To the, to the gave it to all these monks. <laughs> That's a lot of monks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she. I don't think they ever say she sees through time. Okay, granted, but I think the implication there isn't so much about sight specifically as it is about awareness of what is to come. Do you think the Sheikah eye symbol is in reference to the sight of Hylia? Absolutely, yes. This game, yeah. th- this game establishes that. Yes, the the teardrop data also seems to me like a symbol of information passing from the goddess to the people. Sure, I mean the color blue is sort of indicative of the provenance of Hylia in a bunch of these stories. So it would make sense that that's the case here. So So the the Sheikah symbol is Hylia's eyeball crying data onto the Sheikah? Yeah, why not? Yeah, onto everybody, really. Okay. Because this knowledge that she shares is always sorrowful. Is it? Yes. Okay. It could be happy tears. Ganon sucks. (laughs) Could be happy tears. It's not, though. Not that we've ever seen. So there... Is the Great Plateau the best opening to a Zelda game? Yes. That question's also for you, Crystal. I'm thinking... Best opening to a Zelda. Because Maker's pretty good. I would have said the other major competitor is, like, the Deku Tree. Deku Tree's pretty good. Deku Tree's pretty good. The first cycle in Majora is pretty good. Did you ever hear those stories about people who let their kids play Breath of the Wild and the kids would play it for like two weeks straight and never stop talking about the particular things that they were doing in it or the new things that they had discovered and seen? And then their parents would load up the file and see that they had never gotten off the Great Plateau. Yeah, the plateau's not small. Yeah, it's got a lot in it. How long did you spend at it, Crystal? Probably like an hour. Uh, oh. Oh. <laughs> That's what? a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like fifty. Like GTA 3 is probably smaller than the Plateau. Well, I, what, the thing is that me and Monica probably spent closer to like four or five each. Easily. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> we, we did a lot of exploring and just walking around. For us, Breath of the Wild was more of a game where we just sort of walked around and took in the sights and walked up hills and picked up rocks and then put the rocks back down. I basically fully completion the plateau to what degree you can. And you cannot. Before leaving it. Right. So different puzzles and Koroks pop in after you leave for the first time, but I went pretty far. What are the other runes that can be restored to the Sheikah Slate? There is stasis. Which freezes things in time. And can be used to build up kinetic energy. Yes. Mm. That that's is that the most broke one? Uh, in terms of physics, yes. And well, then, magnesis is also really wild. Yeah. And actually, all of them are really wild, just from like a physics standpoint. And then they there's bombs. And bombs. <laughs> they all what? They well, I was gonna say they all freeze things in a certain in a certain way of speaking. But then also bombs. <laughs> yes. Oh, and Cryonis. How did I forget about that? I don't know how you forgot about it. It's because sometimes you just forget Cryonis is an option, and then you just stand at the waterfall going, huh, how do I get past this part? I guess this is before you get the Zora tunic. No, like in a shrine. Oh, okay. You forget you can Cryonis the waterfall. I never forgot. 
I forgot. Here's my critique of this game. Mm-hmm. I don't think they make you use these powers enough or very creatively. Oh, yeah. I think people have done very interesting things with them, but the game never really asks you to. Like, there's a couple puzzles where you, where you have to do it, like, basic stuff, but... I'm going to tell you the truth, and this is the first time I've admitted this to anyone besides Monica. Once you reach the Divine Beast Varuta, there's a particular gate that you have to lift <gasps> by using the Cryonis rune on the water that's underneath the gate. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that that's a thing you could do and wandered around inside of Varuta for like two hours. Cameron. Doing absolutely (laughs) literally everything that you could do without going through that gate, which ended up being about 40% of the dungeon. Oh. Like I did little sequence breaks where I would hop on top of things I wasn't supposed to be able to hop on top of through creative use of Cryonis. And this was all before you gained control of the Divine Beast. You didn't lift the gate. I eventually went back and looked around, and I just like took out Cryonis and looked around the environment to see if there was any water I was missing. And then I saw the water underneath the gate, and I swore so loud, Monica thought I had hurt myself. Oh no. That was pretty good. She thought it was hilarious. It was pretty funny. All the times I got stuck were because I was too chicken to paraglide. A very far distance. Monica has a very strong fear of heights, including in video games. And Breath of the Wild constantly, like, wants you to get over that. And she did not until, like, after she had completed all the Divine Beasts. Yes. Look, there's two puzzles involving paragliding a long distance inside of a Divine... Oh, outside of a Divine Beast. Yeah, seeing the ground way underneath you. No thanks. Monica's not for that. So... Paraglider, please, which is an actual line that you can tell the old man. Yes. Link gathers everything up and travels to all these different biomes and learns how to cook fish with peppers and all kinds of shit. And he gets an itchy sweater. Nice quilted one. A nice quilted itchy sweater. And like eventually he gets all four and the old man is like, "Uh, I'm not going to give it to you yet. And Link is like, you're such a shitty old man. And the old man is like, I'm a ghost. And he vanishes. And he's like, go to the place where the four lines connecting the shrines would intersect. And Link looks at his maps and he goes, oh, I guess that's the fucking Temple of Time. About at this time, you can, because he has a hut, which he ostensibly lives in. Yeah. And keeps a diary where he's like, I forget what fish and meat peppers or whatever is made out of. How could I make my spicy surf and turf fry? Right. But... He also has a line, um, I guess he adds midway, say, saying, Link, like, you may be figuring things out by now, but I, I didn't know how to break it to you. When you come back later, he then fully has left a, another scrawl going like, oh, yeah, please save my daughter or whatever. Thanks, old man. Thanks. Anyway, Temple of Time. Link goes to the Temple of Time, and there's two things that happen here. The first one is that he sees the giant statue of the goddess Hylia is glowing. And he walks over to it, and Hylia talks to him. Not Zelda, not Hylia incarnate, the goddess herself. Yep. You're going to have to be more specific. The goddess from outside of time. You think it's her? Y- yes. But she's she's over in the castle. No, her, like, some portion of her power is, but the consciousness of Hylia exists from outside of time. Her 10,000th descendant is in the castle. 
But mm. she says something like, she'll amplify your being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and can you can get either a heart container or a stamina vessel. To tell her what you desire, and she will grant you the power that you seek. In and- the Assassin's Creed series of video games, oh. <laughs> the gods can make copies of themselves using computers. So what if all of these Hylia statues are just copies of Hylia? And computers. Yeah, and they, they can grant a portion of what she might be able to grant. So you're not speaking to the goddess, you're speaking to like her little VPN network. No, you're, you're speaking to her, it's just, it's a copy of her. There's no singular Hylia. Hylia is legion. I of, reject of this. Statues. Okay. I, I super reject the this. The light shines down from the heavens, <laughs> including at nighttime. That is true. You you do get a heaven light. Yeah. Heaven light. And and Link chooses whatever he chooses, and the goddess bids him go and bring peace to Hyrule. Which is a good thing to charge somebody with if you think that they can super do it. And Link is still recovering from this. He's been had he's had a lot of shit thrown at him in the last one to five hours. There's a lot of concepts to wrestle with here. By one to five hours, it's one to five days, right? In game time. Uh, and no, no, no. One to f- an, a day in Breath of the Wild is twenty four minutes long. Oh, sorry. I think so. It's been quite a bit longer than that. Like for for Crystal, it would have been. About three days, give or take. For us, it was like what a week. I don't want to talk about it. Well, well, I okay. don't think the mat the number matters. Okay. Ghost dude appears on the rooftop, and he's like, "Hey, come up here." And Link is like, "Can you not do anything the fucking easy way?" And Ghost dude is like, "I'm a ghost." And Link climbs up to the top of the Temple of Time, either by vaulting his way up the side of the wall, because Link is some kind of crazy ape man who is able to just be super strong regardless of how weakened he is, or using this convenient ladder, which is at the rear of the building. And he gets up to the top, and the the old man meets him there, and the old man's like, hey, guess who I am? The super cool king of Hyrule. He says it in actual talking, and then, depending on who you are, you're either like, whoa, or you're like, ah, dialogue. Also, the voice acting isn't particularly great. Oh, don't do this. I'm sorry. You know the, the cool sense of mystery you had as while you explore this plateau, you're trying to piece together what might have happened. You can't wait to get out there into the world and find some some more clues to perhaps slowly unravel this mystery. Yeah. Well, don't worry. Rome's going to tell you everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This, uh, this is the particular sequence that you and I would both cut out from the start of this game. Just cut it. Just cut it. You don't particularly need it. Rome doesn't need to be able to talk as long as he does. Would you cut out Rome altogether? No, I would not. But I would definitely shorten his speech. I guess you could just have him hand you the paraglider and fade away with an indication that he's the king. I think the only thing Rome needs to tell you is, I was the king. Here's the paraglider. Go to Kakariko to learn more. Save my daughter, I guess. No, I wouldn't even include that bit. About Kakariko? Kakariko, yes. Not the so much the saving my daughter. But oh. if I wrote Rome, he would be a different fucking character. <laughs> so now that Link has the paraglider, he can descend from the Great Plateau. And we 
the narrators of this podcast are presented with a very particular problem. Uh-huh. Crystal, would you say that it is fair to describe the Zelda series on the whole? In each game, it's roughly narratively linear. Yeah. Like, you know what's going to happen, the particular sequence in which you're going to do things. There's some differences, like in Link Between Worlds, where you can tackle certain dungeons in different orders, but there's still larger story beats that will be done, and all of them will be done. Mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild is not like that. No. In Breath of the Wild, as soon as you leave the Great Plateau, you have the freedom to do the very foolish thing and march your way directly to the heart of Hyrule Castle, past all the swarming guardians, and do battle with the darkness incarnate from the word jump. Mm-hmm. And you can win. Yes. And that's the whole story. The shortest Act 3 in any Zelda game. I really love the idea of a Link that wakes up and maybe he doesn't have any memories, but he has a strong sense of what he needs to do. And Zelda's like, hey, beat up Ganon. And he's like, beat up Ganon? And speedruns now are down to like 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. There's just this... There's some version of this Link who hops down off the plateau, lands on a horse, rides his way over to a Bacoblin encampment, chops down a tree, <laughs> uses stasis on the trunk, smashes it with a hammer, jumps on top of it, and just blasts his way through the air all the way over to Hyrule Castle. I like <laughs> the idea that Link wakes up, and the biggest obstacle to his success is that Rome won't just give him the, para- the parachute. <laughs> It's like, if he did that, this story could be over a lot faster. Rome's final insult (laughs) is being a bigger obstacle than Ganon itself. I don't think, like, really story-wise, Rome, like, Link would have found a way off the plateau on his own. Either by constructing a paraglider or some rope or, you know, eventually getting enough strength to carefully climb his way down or stasising a log. Yeah. Rome doesn't really need to be there. I understand it's a function of the game and tutorializing, but Ghost Dad can just go be dead. You're thinking that he shouldn't be in the opening at all. I just mean as a function of if Hyrule was real. Oh, okay, sure. As a function of the game, he serves good purpose. So there's also versions of Link who, instead of going directly to the heart of the castle and doing battle with darkness incarnate might take the time to do literally everything in the game. Uh Uh-huh. And there's enough to do in this game that can be tackled in literally every order that I think it's distinctly possible that no two players have done the same shrines in the same order except for when they're doing a speed run. Yeah, that makes sense. There's so many different ways that this story can go now in terms of where we go, in what order, what it is that we decide to do versus not. And I wanted to ask the two of you, how are we going to address the story now that we've left the Great Plateau? What does Link do next? And more, what is the path that he takes across Hyrule to set things right? I think there's a standard path Sort of, amongst the Divine Beasts. I would argue not. At least with the first Divine Beast. Okay, that one, yes. They do their best to try to signpost that one first. And well, like Link the is root- told 
Mm-hmm. Link is told to go to Kakariko first. Yes. And I, yeah, I do think that the majority of people will go to Kakariko. So let's say that as a beginning, what Link does is we'll go through the what you might call critical path up until the point that Link gets access to his little picture encyclopedia. Okay. But after that, is there a particular order in which we want to address the Divine Beasts? Zora's first. Crystal, I want to hear your thoughts. Zora's, Zora's number one. That's pretty, it's pretty well accepted. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, then Goron makes sense to me. Okay. Then pass through, go meet the Deku Tree. Maybe you have enough to get the Master Sword. For, for the purpose of this conversation, we'll say, yeah, you do. Then so he, he's just going counterclockwise here across the map. Then Rito. <laughs> uh-huh. Then Gerudo. Do you want to save the Gerudo for last? I mean, that that's just the counterclockwise position. That makes sense to me. The order I did it, I think, was Zora, Gerudo, Goron, Rito. I think we did the same. I think that's the same order that I did it, at least. Yeah. yeah I... That's the Medora order. <laughs> that's the Medora order. Should we go by that one, then? Sure. Sure. Link okay. just zips around a lot. We did have some consensus here on order. Huh. Well, where did you two jump off? The plateau. Yeah, which direction did you go, Crystal? Towards Ganon. Yeah, me too. Oh, really? I absolutely did not. Um, the place that I went, you know the uh, Balboa Plains, I think they're called? The places with the really huge trees and tall grasses and lots of horses? Uh-huh. The Yellow Plains? I went toward them first. And it just happened that as I was going down, I saw this enormous group of horses and one stood out from them and I thought that my perspective was a bit weird and it must have been closer than I thought because it was huge compared to all the others but no it's really just an utterly gigantic horse with a black coat and a flaming red mane and it was super cool and it's just Ganondorf's horse from Ocarina of Time and that was literally the first thing that I saw after coming off the plateau and I lost my shit completely (laughs) I jumped my way towards Hyrule Field, and I crept a little bit towards the castle, but I had a sense that I shouldn't go towards the castle. And I took long enough that it was nighttime, and actually, well, this probably indicates how much I had dicked around already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the world needed to reset, uh-huh. and as I crept towards the castle- The Wii feeling- U's memory got mad at you. <laughs> feeling nervous. Well, the Switch did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feeling nervous, suddenly the sky turned red, and there was a giant, what I thought was a meteor. That was heading toward you. (laughs) Heading towards me. You'd gotten too close, and Ganon's pissed. And so I started trying to run away from the moon, and um, may have screamed a little. Yeah, I heard that. And and that was my first blood moon. That was fucking terrifying. What was your first adventure when you went off the plateau, Crystal? I was going to go fight Ganon, but then the Guardians in Hyrule Field shot me to death. (laughs) (laughs) That does happen, doesn't it? Yeah. So then I went uh, eastward toward Kakariko and climbed the Dueling Peaks and got killed there by Moblins. (laughs) Yeah. Well, most people... If you follow the path, you'll encounter, you know, maybe a couple of moblins and some bacoblins waiting in ambush as they, I guess they 
ambush travelers. There's a talus off the side of the road. You, most people will cross the Proxim Bridge. I, that bridge trips me the fuck out because the way that it's set up is that if you're just going in a particular direction, you will completely miss a shrine that is just sitting out in the open, just that the camera won't like see it unless you're looking around for it. And when you talk to the person on the bridge, Brigo, Brigo, and there's something to be said about the conversation that he has. We'll get to it in a second. But during this conversation, the camera pans back to Link, and you see the shrine that you walked past just sitting almost directly behind you. And that happened to me not two weeks ago in my Master Mode replay. And I I lost my fucking mind when I saw it again. Because I just really appreciate how the game is constructed in these real small ways to show you things you might have missed. Prigo really is... A good example of how much hidden dialogue is in this game. He's the first living person that you're most likely to talk to. And he greets you. He helps guide you around. Um, He tells you, if you talk to him several times, he explains he's guarding this bridge because it's very important for... um, Travelers. Yeah, travelers and keeping the lines of communication open between each of the stables and so on. So he has to make sure that the monsters don't, like, get on the bridge. And he's just doing it out of the good of his heart. Yeah, it's just a thing you have to do. It's his duty to the community. And you can actually pace his pattern around. He's got a clock, like, I guess in Majora's Mask. He'll go and sit underneath, like, a small shelter at nighttime and some nights. And when it's rainy, and other times he'll just pace the bridge. And he reacts to Link, um, I think... Standing on the edge of the bridge. And and also standing on the edge of the bridge, trying to talk. He thinks that Link's trying to jump off and end it all. And he talks Link down and offers to stay with him and talk to him until he feels better. There's a lot of hidden stuff in this game. Yeah, there's a... The game has a silly amount of dialogue. So you cross the bridge and you head probably towards the giant glowing tower and the dueling peaks that the king points out to you. Right. And you activate the tower probably. Yeah. And there's like three shrines on the dueling peaks. Yep. The high one, the low one, and underneath. Yeah. The underneath has the climbing bandana, which is the first special piece of armor you're most likely to get. And what it does is it increases your climb speed. It's good. But not your stamina. Not your stamina. Don't think it does that because it does not. But you can climb quicker when you got it. In one of the stables or somebody you encounter, they mentioned that the Dueling Peaks was used to be one mountain and it was split in half by a dragon. Do we believe this? Well, it exists in previous Zelda games. The Dueling Peaks? Yes. They're part of the art in Legend of Zelda. Oh, interesting. The The same person also points out that there was some sort of a dragonish or strange activity at the at Lake Hylia, which is Faroche. You can go to Lake Hylia later to see some really wondrous things. Or if now. You're, if you're not prepared for it. We're not doing that right yeah, now. Yeah, no, though. I know. But at the stables that Monica keeps referring to, uh, we mentioned it a little bit in a previous episode, but... Hyrule, at this point, doesn't have much in the way of established towns. There's perhaps two or three 
that are really in any kind of shape. It's mostly now made up of people who travel between settlements, carrying all of their belongings with them. And these stables act as little nodes of not exactly civilization, but humanity out in the middle of the wilds where people can get together and have a hot meal and sleep out of the rain and also like stable their horses, which is why they're called stables. It's really about horses. But the network of stables exists so that people can travel between them and have stopping points during their travels. This is a very interesting version of Hyrule. Yes. it's uh, It feels as deserted as some of the earlier games made you want to think. Yes. Maybe not even deserted, lonely? but lonely. Lonely. But it's lonely due to structure, not just lonely because there's nobody around. There are people, but everyone's disconnected. Right. But it's very a very pleasant post-apocalypse because... I mean, not everybody's happy, but they're okay. There was a lot of shit that happened before, but they're making do and they're living their lives. And Yeah, they got past the age of burning fields and they've started rebuilding, like genuinely rebuilding. Yeah. Which isn't a post-apocalyptic vision that a lot of post-apocalypses tend to lean into. It's definitely less fallout and more Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen Nausicaa, Crystal? Yeah, I like Nausicaa. Nausicaa's real good. It's basically a Zelda movie. Yes. Basically. Is, <laughs> basically. Is this the stable where you first meet Cass? No. No. Is no. that later? You meet Cass a little bit later. Okay. But this is a stable where there's the crazy blood moon loving guy. Yes. The guy at this particular stable, you can talk to him and he will tell you whether or not there will be a blood moon that particular night. He's very reliable. A little freaky. Oh, you know, everybody has their preoccupations, but he feels very um, close to monsters. And as the blood moon is rising, he loses control of himself and starts running around and making animal noises. That's a little unsettling. His blood is alight with the power of Ganon. That's a little, again, unsettling. Yes, it is quite unsettling. Anyway, Link keeps traveling. Link keeps traveling. Um, he might catch a horse. It will be a spotted horse, which is not as good as the solid color You ones. can get a solid color horse here. If he's cooked up some nice energy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can catch a nice solid horse and uh, ride his way onto Kakariko. A little bit more than halfway, he meets a funny tree guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Hestu. He's missing his maracas. Hestu is like... A really, really huge version of the Koroks that Link has been meeting the entire time by oh, yeah. solving little puzzles. Uh-huh. We haven't really mentioned them, but the Koroks are here. They're around, and they've been giving him little Korok seeds. It turns out they stole all these Korok seeds from the inside of Hestu's maracas, and they just want to play hide-and-seek. And they sort of assumed that Hestu would come find them, but Hestu's really bad at hide-and-seek, so Link does it. Do so you think they were hiding for Link the whole time? What'd you say, Crystal? Why is Hestu of Korok seeds in his maracas? Seeds might be good for maraca use. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But you know what the seeds are, right? Uh-huh. Well, why don't you... Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm actually going to say no. Why don't you tell me what they are, Crystal? They're, you know, fecal matter. What makes you say that? They have a distinct smell. Sure. And they're shaped like a poop. They are not <laughs> shaped like a poop. They're, they're shaped, shaped like, a, like a little one. They're shaped like 
fucking uh, grains of corn. No, they're shaped like little poops if the Korok did a poop. Like the little cutest poop. But it's not, the Koroks don't actually make these seeds. Hestu had them. Hestu collected their poop. <laughs> these are old poops. They, they thought it was weird that Hestu had their poops. And so they took them back. They're perfectly willing to return them. You, yeah, you you fought them. It's or found them. It's just fair game. They don't have any particular attachment. <laughs> they're poops. They think that it's sort of funny, actually, because they're all children, and scatological humor is hilarious when you're a kid. Uh huh. Nine hundred poops. That's a lot of poops. And yes. your reward for getting all of them is a, is a soft surf poop. It's. I think it's Hestu's. What is it? Hestu's treasure. Something like that. I just remember uh-huh. it as a giant golden poop. Yeah, that one's a big golden poop. And the distinct smell is even smellier. Why is that one poop? Um, yeah. Because Hestu took a big gnarly shit and then handed it to you. Why isn't it just like uh, uh, some soft serve ice cream? He's so much bigger than the other Koroks that his poop is just different. He's... <laughs> it's poop... Because what do you expect you would be given by Nintendo after going through the trouble of catching all 900 Koroks? After, at the halfway point, Hestu tells you, okay, you're not getting anything else for this. You can keep going if you want, but there are no more rewards. There's a reward. There's a reward, and it's a big golden dookie. And it's great. It's very funny. Well before you even reach the point where Hestu says you won't be getting any more rewards, you have seen every iteration of every Korok puzzle dozens of times. You know, you say that, but I managed to get like 200 of them without ever finding any of the ones that were just like in trees and you have to shoot them with an arrow. The the little acorns? Yeah, the little pots. For me, I didn't clue in that the three similar trees with the fruit on them. Really? Puzzles until like until I was actively hunting them near the end of the game. Wow. Those are easy to spot on the map though, because trees and especially like, three trees in a row are very easy and, and actually appear on the map. You see, Crystal, me and Monica uh, aren't as observant with regards <laughs> to certain things as you may think us to be. Yeah, I I saw all the quirk puzzles. I just didn't want to do them because like it's the <gasps> same thing. Uh, there's like f- there's like five of them. There's like five actual puzzles. I think there's like a few more than that. They have some horse jumping ones, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a few strange ones. I like doing the ones where you have to move the metal blocks to make them match the other metal blocks. I just like picking up a rock and there's a core. Yeah, yeah, that's the best one. <laughs> or the flowers. The hidden rock. That's tops. They're just little things to do, and I like just going out and doing the little things because every little thing that you do is just a little... It makes you a little bit better at the core part of the game, and that feels nice. Crystal, would you prefer that they were like the moons in Odyssey? Mario Odyssey? I have not played enough of Mario Odyssey to say that. Oh, okay. Well, you can get moons very randomly in that game and they don't there's no you know there's no core set of things that you have to do right there are some repeating tasks but not many mm-hmm. so link keeps it meets hestu and hestu's like okay you got my maracas back from those monsters but i need all the seeds back from the koroks oh you have some seeds okay i'm just gonna do a little dance here and that's when he starts doing the dance and he expands your item slot 
and you can get an upgrade to your weapon inventory, your shield inventory, or your bow inventory, which lets you carry more shit. It's very good. And clearly you choose the weapon one because you're already straining against that boundary. Yeah. But by now you're most of the way to Kakariko Village. Uh Uh-huh. Let's go in. Is this a hidden village? It's not very hidden right now. It's pretty hidden. It's in the mountains. It's definitely in a very well fortified area. Yeah, it's very defensible if anybody tries to attack them. But there are visitors, you get the sense. Not any that you see when you go outside of yourself. The painter? I guess. Some some um, merchants? You don't see a lot of them. Well? So you go into Kakariko Village, and it's got a very distinctly Japanese flavor to it compared to the more European version of older Kakarikos. Uh-huh. Walk us through it. So when you enter Kakariko Village, you are greeted by an old woman sitting by a fire who is tending to a twisted ankle. And when you talk to her, she introduces herself as Nana. And you ask her some questions about the village And she takes note of the Sheikah slate that Link carries on his hip. And when she sees that Sheikah slate, she gets to her feet and tells Link that he should proceed immediately to the house of the village elder because she will want most desperately to talk to him. And nobody really talks about this, but uh, Nana's ankle isn't busted at all. No. She just gets right up, and when the conversation is done, she walks away comfortable as you please and it seems like she faked that so that she could get some idea of what any stranger entering the village was like she's a sentry she is essentially the town guard yes it's a ninja village it is actually a ninja village a hidden ninja village okay so we go through kakariko village and everybody who sees you is kind of freaked out by you in different ways They recognize the Sheikah Slate. Some do. Others, like the girl standing outside of the armor shop, look at you and like, hey, you know, you're my type. Yeah, she also notices the Sheikah Slate after. Yeah, after. But first she's like, hey, you're hot. She is the first person in the game to look at Link and go, hold on a minute. Where'd this hot person come from? But it's a running theme throughout the rest of Breath of the Wild. Yeah. So Link makes his way down to the center lowest part of the village which is where the staircase up to impa's house is and the two guards are like you can't just go see the elder in order to do that you would is that a sheikah slate uh okay you you can go up ahead then and link just goes on up on his merry way and uh he also meets a woman outside who's about his age and she's not very good around young men. She kind of freaks out when she sees Link because she's because he's handsome and she doesn't know how to process her feelings because that's the kind of character that she is. And that's Paya. Uh, Paya's great, though. Paya's a very fun character. And after talking to Paya for a little bit, who instantly recognizes Link for who he actually is, uh, Link goes in and he talks to Impa. And Impa's like 130 years old. No, like 110 to 120 She's like 120 years old. Because Pura is 120 and she's the older sister. Well, she's not actually 120. She said that she hasn't felt like she was in her 20s for a century. She says that she was reduced by 70 years and is now 50. In her 50s. 
about 120. And our, listen, I cannot believe we're having this conversation in front of Jesus and the listeners and Crystal and everybody again. Did we have this already? No, it's just following the same pattern as the ones from last episode. Okay. And Impa's like, hey, do you remember me? You don't remember me. Oh. And that means you probably don't remember Zelda either. Well, I better tell you the big story about what happened. And this is the place where Rome's part of the narrative probably should have been rolled into. And just let Impa tell the whole thing. Right. She basically retells part of what he says. Yeah. But better. If they had included the bits of showing the Guardians running over Hyrule Castle Town and just blasting all the buildings apart, that would have been a good place. Uh, this would have been a good place to have that. But she says, before Princess Zelda went to nobly meet her fate, she entrusted me with some words which she wished to say to you. It is Zelda's last message to you. Right. Now, to be clear on this, this isn't something that you find out until much later, but the last message for Link was seen as so important that Robbie, Impa, and Pura moved to different areas of the continent so that if Ganon ever struck, it wouldn't be able to kill all three of them at once. So essential was passing on this particular sentence to Link that they resolved not to see each other again for a hundred years. Yeah, and Impa actually gatekeeps this saying you might not be ready for this you don't have your memories you know listen you have to be prepared to risk your life because you know zelda risked her life in in communicating this message to me the only thing that makes you ready to hear this message is if you feel that you are ready yourself to take on the responsibility and the risk that is necessary in doing battle with ganon are you so prepared courageous one and you can't get your memory back before doing this. This is essential to getting any component of your memories. Yes. But um, okay, Link's like, yes. Yeah, I'm I can ready. totally do it. Yeah, I, I, I'll. I, 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 this lady keeps talking in my head. I gotta help her. And the important message is: free the four divine beasts. That's the whole fucking thing. Now, in fairness, in fairness, if I knew that he was going to wake up without his memory. That might not be the first thing that would come to my mind if I was Link. These giant killer robots that have, like, been turned by Ganon and are able to destroy huge swaths of land at a blink, I might not think to go near them. Yeah, but it is a video game, and there's four giants, clearly dungeons and or pilotable things. We're going to rush towards them. Regardless, Zelda's last instruction for Link was to free the Divine Beasts. And, well, there's quite a bit more to it. But we'll get to that once we reach the Divine Beast Varuta. But I think that's about the end of the conversation with Impa. She does tell you that you should travel to Hateno Village across the Blatchery Plains and past Hateno Fortress in order to find her sister, who will be able to tell you more about the Sheikah Slate. Yes, but you can wander around right now, so you can do things like discover that the townspeople are aware of the two shrines and the fairy fountain, even though one of the shrines is still buried. I think that next episode we should just start off talking about the fairy fountain. Sure. How are they aware of the second shrine? It's just word passed down to them. 
Okay. They may also be referring to the fairy fountain as a shrine. No, they say two shrines and fairy fountain. I don't know then. Who who does? Dorian. You know, it's like when you bring your thing to the beach to search for buried treasure. They know it's down there. They just can't bring it up. Fair enough. Um, Metal detector is the word I was looking for. Oh, okay. You can also go and read Pius' diary. Yes, and there's a rumor mill diary that's like... Crystal, were you around on the internet back when guest books were a thing? Oh, for sure, yes. Okay. So for some of our listeners who may be too young to get that reference, it used to be that websites would have guest books where people who visited the website could leave behind particular thoughts, signed or unsigned, to let the webmaster, the person running the website, know what the experience of browsing the site was like. And those were called guest books. And Kakariko Village sort of has something like that in Empa's house, where people will just come in and write down things that they feel the rest of the community needs to know, and it gets into some real gossipy bullshit. It's in the inn. It's in the inn? Oh, I thought it was in Impa's house for some reason. No. I'm sorry. That's where the reference to the two shrines and the fairy fountain is. Dorian remarks that a, the painter, a painter came by that they don't recognize, so they have to keep those things on the down low. It may be that Dorian is betraying some knowledge that he has, but that the rest of the village does not. That's fair. We'll come back to Dorian, I think. I think that's a side quest that's worth exploring. Are, are you thinking of the lady who wa- you know wants somebody to notch her bow? Yeah, 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 yeah. God. <laughs> yeah? And, and How'd they get away with it? How'd they get away with what, Crystal? By the sexual innuendo of the of the lady who wants someone to notch her bow, and her husband's really into cuckoos. I, um, I don't know what to tell you exactly. I mean, Breath of the Wild is a weirdly horny game in a lot of places. It's so. Like, really hard. Like, there's definitely a lot of uh, men and women in this game who look at Link and go, oh my god. And the bow lady, who is, I guess, a Fletcher working for the rest of the village, uh, when she sees Link and figures out that he's good with a bow and arrow, she's into him. And she sets the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah. Well, the first lady at the the outfit shop sets the tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this lady really sets the tone. Because there's, like, fucked up character dynamics behind it. Yeah. Anyway, Link's in Kakariko. Shall we call it there for now? Sure. I'm asking Crystal. Yeah. You want to take some cues? I love cues. Cues and A's. Cues and A's. We provide the A's to their cues. Jordan asks, almost coming full circle. Do you have and do any of you have regrets? Plans to do another game series, Deep Lore Dive? Are you open to suggestions? Ooh. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Crystal. Hmm. Another game series, Deep Lore Dive. There's just nothing quite like Zelda. Yeah, I don't know anything nearly as well as I know Zelda. There are games that we could theoretically do, but, I mean, they wouldn't be like this, you know? Do you have any regrets, Crystal? Regrets? Hmm. I don't know. No? Good. No regrets. Live without regrets. No egrets. (laughs) 
Well, we will have an egress to be sure once we get the timeline episode out there. No, no, no egrets. Oh, the birds? Yes, the avians. Oh, okay. Um, another game series deep dive. We could theoretically do another game series deep dive at some point, but I think that once we're finished with this, we would probably need a break. Need to rest up. Mm-hmm. And yes. not not for like a set amount of time. A hundred years. A hundred years. Ten thousand years. Ten thousand years. Do you have regrets, Cam? I always have regrets. I have regrets about everything. I have regrets every time I say a sentence without thinking about it more than 15 seconds beforehand. I regret some of the jokes I've made on this very fucking podcast. But, I mean, like, I'm also conceited enough that I have to just be able to move forward even with my regrets. So it's fine. I wish that we had spent more time on certain things and less time on others. I wasn't here for half of the podcast. Yeah, that's true. That's okay, though. I don't regret it. What do you wish we had spent more time on and less on others? And he's going to give me out of specifics. Well, I mean, the whole reason that we're doing this Breath of the Wild revisit is specifically because I wish we had spent more time on it. Right. But you knew that you were going to come to the end and cover Breath of the Wild again. That actually wasn't something that we intended to do from the start. Really? No. I can't remember when we decided it would be a thing, but it definitely wasn't a thing at the start. Are are we open to suggestions? Sure. Not you. Crystal, ah. are we open to suggestions? Sure, we're always open to suggestions. Oh, okay. I think that there's a certain implication in asking if we're open to suggestions. Could suggestions actually change the course of how we address this in the future? Potentially? We'd be open to it. If somebody's like, please do a Metroid lore podcast, how up for that would you be? Oh, is there Metroid lore? There is. I mean, I know there is, but like, is there... Is there? Yeah, actually. Each of the Prime games would be a pretty significantly sized episode, I think. Fusion would be pretty big on its own. We would talk fucking forever about Other M, actually. I... Here's my secret. I'm like Japan. I don't care about Metroid. Okay, see? Well, there you go. Then the firm answer to are we doing the Book of Aurora is pretty big no. Unless Metroid Prime 4 is just so moving that... That Crystal plays it? Why uh-huh. would you, why, I, why, why? I enjoy the Metroid Prime games. I'm not really deep into the lore. Yeah. I like the uh, the Luminoth. Yeah, they're pretty cool, the moth people. Next question. Hmm. Heaven Chayette asks, what causes Link to lose all of his equipment upon arrival to that island that looks like Colinet Island that I forget the name of? Eventide? Yes, Eventide Island. Yeah, that'd be Eventide. Um, magical monk bullshit. Yeah, magic monk bullshit. Like, literally, the monk <laughs> removes his equipment. And he says that you he is. And it's like, I'll give it back once it's finished. Sucker! These monks are powerful. It's not just that they're powerful. I think also Hylia's doing this. Yeah. It's the only reason I can think of that they would be able to take the Master Sword from you is if they are leveraging Hylia's power. Yes. Hylia well, is like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's see how this works. The emblems or whatever have Hylia's crest on them. They do. They all see with Hylia's sight. They all move with Hylia's authority. They all seek to thwart Ganon in Hylia's name. So that's Hylia. Hylia is how. But it's that dick-ass old monk. 
some people do go through and dump their weapons on the raft, then land on the island, then go and retrieve their weapons. That can be a real game changer in terms of how you approach that island. <laughs> it's a fun island as is, though. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it, it can be a bit hard for... Even in master mode, I really like it. Mm-hmm. There was a period of about six months where people who were into Breath of the Wild and like to talk about game design would not shut up about Eventide Island. Like, that was Breath of the Wild distilled down to its purest form for them was Eventide. I mean, it's a good shrine. It's very good as shrines go, but it's still this small part. You you, you remember this, right, Crystal? Yeah, I remember this. It was definitely a thing. Breath of the Wild hasn't really fallen out of the discourse in the way that most games its age have. People still talk about it quite a lot. Yeah, you don't see people talking about other games released at the same time, like Mass Effect Andromeda. Wait, did that come out the same time? Oof. Came out March 2017. Jesus. I was going to say that people talk about Horizon less than they talk about Zelda. Yeah. Nier, even. Yeah, Nier did fall off a little bit. Persona's still fairly strong in some circles. Surprisingly to me. Ah, yeah. Well, you know, everybody reacts to these games differently, right? The strangest thing about Persona to me is that they, they made another one of those, and it hit in the same way the last ones hit. And just bigger. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I I didn't... I would have expected it to either be hit way smaller, hit way bigger. They kind of hit about the same. I think it's that the the trailers for Persona 5 were better. And yeah. It reached a somewhat wider audience of people, but it did not fundamentally appeal to folks who it, Persona 4 did already appeal to it's just that more people saw it so a greater like no, absolute number got to say hey that looks like my kind of thing it had a bit more style going oh no no persona 4 was all style and i think persona 3 was too but i never played that one was persona 3 all style too oh yeah just oozing with it 2017 was a wild fucking year for video games mostly bad otherwise what other games came out in 2017 that no one talks about? Um, I guess like Yakuza 0 now. Wolfenstein. Oh yeah, Wolfenstein the New Colossus came out, didn't it? Good lord. Um, uh, Spectre of Torment, uh, the third Shovel Knight campaign. Dream Daddy. Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Call of Duty. Fortnite. World War II. <laughs> <laughs> Fortnite. Fortnite's still in beta. Uh, uh, Player Unknown Battleground. Player Unknown's yeah. Battlegrounds is actually no longer talked about and was officially released in 2017. Destiny 2. Um, maybe a little bit. No, people still talk about Mario Odyssey sometimes. It's just not part of the Zetgeist in the same way that um, Breath of the Wild is. Resident Evil. I don't know. Splatoon is still as relevant as it ever was. How dare you? How dare you? Resident Seven Evil. Uh, uh. 2017 was a good year if you liked video games. Prey came out. Prey's great game. Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle. That was a really, really, really fun strategy game. Uncharted The Lost Legacy. Uh, Night in the Woods. Assassin's Creed 
Origins. Evil Within 2, the actual successor to Resident Evil 4, and the best horror game to come out until the Resident Evil 2 remake. Do I need to play Evil Within 1? You do not. And in fact, I would say that would hurt the experience. (laughs) Okay. I'll just skip to Psycho Break 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is actually a contingent of players who hold that Evil Within 2 is not as good as the original because it doesn't have the same shitty way that it insists upon its own identity but evil within 2 is a much better game from every possible perspective dark souls 3 the ringed city that was good dlc for old cameron 2017 was very strong in video games yeah we like video games on this podcast i don't know if anybody's picked up on that yet yeah i wouldn't call us gamers but we enjoy video games never call us gamers don't you fucking dare no offense, but I'm gaming. I mean some offense. <laughs> Next question. Caleb asks, not really a Breath of the Wild question, but is Mega Man Legends canon in the Zelda universe? He links a picture of what looks to be a Sheikah eye without a tear at the bottom of a pillar that's going to smash down to Earth. And then also some kind of painting showing... A blue-clad warrior wielding a bow against an enormous sphinx-like figure? Again, with the eyes in the background. Yeah, maybe. Ah, sure, why not? That could have been during the- 10,000 years is a really long time. Yeah, sure, why not? Why not? (laughs) All of Mega Man. Mega Man Man lore, that's a good one. Oh, I don't know if I could handle Mega Man lore. That didn't involve things like going through Mega Man 8. But I'm Tish. Uh, that wasn't a joke. I don't want to hear about Dr. Wiley. Crystal. Cassidy asks, hmm? are you familiar with that particular voice uh, performance for Dr. Light in, I think it's Mega Man 8? I don't know anything about Mega Man 8. Okay. Uh, keep reading more questions. I'm going to look some shit up. Cassidy asks, does the title Breath of the Wild refer to Link's incredibly bad breath after 100 years of not brushing their teeth? Yes. Um, no. <laughs> okay. The blue goop probably helped prevent cavities and gingivitis. You think so? Here, Crystal, I'm going to link you to a 35-second, give or take, clip of a cutscene in Mega Man 8. Okay. This is fine. Is it? It's, yeah. Like- it, it's considered legendarily bad. Really? Like, this is... The gold standard for bad English localizations of that era. Like, it's fine. Oh. Like, it's not great. You know. Oh, you know what would be the lore podcast to do? Sonic the Hedgehog. I'd do that. Yeah, I know you would. Ah, uh, uh, then no. No, it's too complicated. There's too much. See, the thing about Zelda is there, there's just enough. Just enough. There's just enough of a balance between... Between concrete information and speculation. And everything is just connected enough without having to split into uh, parallel canons. Right. It's a very comfy middle ground. Sonic's not like that then. No, because which Sonic are you going to do? There's lots of Sonics. I guess you'd have to do all of them. Yeah. One episode per game. That's only like, what, 65 episodes? Yeah. That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes, actually. Like, we haven't hit that number with the Book of Midori yet. 
And in fact, we'll probably finish before we hit that number. Shall we try an email? I'm sorry, Crystal. I didn't mean to interrupt your question reading. I just had something jump out at me. Let's do let's let's do an email. Dylan writes in with two theories. First is about the idea of the river Zora versus the ocean Zora. In Oracle of Ages, there's a line you talked about that mentions Ocean Zora looking down on River Zora. I posit that there are two very distinct types of Zora, with the River Zora being the one we see in Ocarina of Time and Twilight Princess, where they are all very similar looking, with the exception of some, looking at you, King Zora. Ocean Zora, what we see in Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild, where they either live in salt water or have their homes visibly connected to the ocean in some way. The ocean evolved differently, having more natural predators in the form of ocean creatures like the eels we see in Majora, so they adapted by evolving more fish-like and or magical traits, like having a pufferfish, hammerhead, and tiger shark Zora in Majora, or the whale king-like Zora and the hammerhead Zora in Breath of the Wild. My other theory relates to some of the discrepancies in the downfall timeline. I present a downfall timeline with minor changes, the main one being that instead of dying while fighting Ganon, Link dies much earlier. He dies at least before fighting Twinrova, before even opening the Door of Time. This explains how Twinrova is still around in the Oracle games, and it also places Four Swords Adventures at the beginning of the downfall timeline. Link never fights Ganondorf, so he rises to the throne relatively unopposed, and never has to become Ganon. Since he remains a man that has achieved his goals, he dies of natural causes and Zelda, who has been living a sheik, comes out of hiding and restores the royal family. The Master Sword was never released, so centuries later, another Gerudo male is born and the events of Four Swords Adventures take place. Sometime later, the Imprisoning Wars take place and the Master Sword is discovered. Hmm. Let's... It's interesting to to note the, the greater... Uh, phenomorphic variety of the Ocean Zora. I don't know that I buy them being Ocean Zora, though, because they're they, fresh water. They still move exclusively through fresh water that we can see. Except for that one part where, you know, Mifa's DLC trials, she has to, like, jump into the ocean. Her going into the ocean is a big deal. Yeah. I think they are definitely freshwater Zora, but it is true that there is a far greater, um, Phenotypical variants, I guess. Yeah. They look real different. But the only ocean Zora that we see are that are friendly are in Termina. I guess they're literally ocean Zora and that they live in the ocean, but I like it's only the Oracle games where they're divided that way, right? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I've never cared for the division between them, but I think that a part of that is just that I have this deep-seated distrust of the lore that's introduced by the oracle games and even after all this time i still haven't fully unpacked it you don't trust the oracle games no why not i feel like they do some silly things with the setting we spent all we had to put a lot of effort into writing them into some kind of cohesive timeline and fitting in twin rova yeah Speaking of, I like this is a good read of the Downfall timeline as reads of the Downfall timeline go, but this podcast will not <laughs> never, ever, ever like stand behind a Downfall timeline. Who who could beat Link? Who? That is not Ganon. I mean, even Ganon. I mean, if you're a bad player. I guess. But and it just doesn't fit with the way that timeline splits are depicted in the rest of the series. And who 
Ganon's not going to die of natural causes. He's going to live forever. Yeah, that 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 piece of shit is not going to die old and gray. Or do you think that he might, Crystal? He is but a man. Uh, with like, is he necromantic powers? Holding yeah. a third of the engine of creation. Yeah, he's he's a, a powerful sorcerer, but the tri- the Triforce doesn't give you the Triforce of power doesn't give you immortality per se. He wasn't frozen in time while he was trapped between Ocarina of Time and Wind Waker. No, he didn't age. Not significant. Oh, yeah. Not significantly over the centuries. Well, he was a ghost. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he was pretty alive enough to be stabbed in the head with a sword. My God, is that something that you said back in the Wind Waker episode that Ganondorf? Yes, <laughs> it's a battle between ghosts, the ghosts of two ancient kings. I'm glad that we got to revisit this particular topic, and by glad, I mean that I'm upset now. If Daphnis is a ghost, why not Ganon? Because Ganon never died. He drowned. That's just the thing. I think that the Triforce of Power actually kind of does make you immortal. Like, low-grade immortal, but pretty immortal. You think he'll live, he will never die of old age. Yeah, basically. Also, he's very spiteful. Spite can't make you live longer, it's true. What would happen if he choked on a cherry, like Gary Oldman in The Fifth Element? (laughs) I, uh, his hate would be a living incarnation, something, something, and the cherry pit would, like, jump out or burn or something. Like, would the Triforce prevent him from choking? No, I'm thinking that he could choke for hours and nothing <laughs> would come of it. He'd, okay. he'd just be sitting there trying to do the Heimlich on himself and nothing's fucking <laughs> happening, but he doesn't actually have to breathe. Okay. And nobody else can give him the Heimlich maneuver because he's, like, ten feet tall. And has a chest as big around as a car yeah basically so maybe what happened to ganon is he he did drown and he was actively drowning <laughs> for many centuries but he never died so he just you need the master sword for that no wonder he was so angry isn't he the one who creates the barrier around hyrule castle and holds the ocean back yeah okay that's it ganon probably not gonna die he has insistently refused to die in more than one incarnation of this story. But thank you for the email, Dylan. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan. Let's do one more email. Okay. okay. Ross writes in, 10,000 years talk. This has no bearing on whether Hyrule's history literally goes back 10,000 years. But I want to point out that in Japan and China, 10,000 years has been used as a placeholder for either eternity or going back to prehistory. If you read, say, Journey to the West, several dragons and immortals talk about being 10,000 years old, and some mountains are mentioned existing for 10,000 years. What's funny is that in the plot, some of those things are actually older and y- or younger than each other, so the 10,000 years talk is not always literally true. It's meant as a signifier that a person or thing is older than any mortal's reckoning. It can also demonstrate divinity. While playing Breath of the Wild, I noticed Nintendo using that number. Perhaps Nintendo wanted players to literally interpret it as a 10,000-year time span, but I also understood immediately that they were calling back to old legends that use that number as a signifier. And finally, an unrelated question. Possibly the most difficult question any of you have faced on the (gasps) podcast. Why do you hear owls at night in Breath of the Wild when there are no owls in the game? Oh, boy. (laughs) Which part of this do we want to address first, Crystal? Uh, Owls. There are owls in the game, but Link can't find them. They're very good at hiding. 
They're better yeah. hiders than the Koroks. They're small. Yeah. <laughs> L- yeah, like they're reverse like Wan Chitong. They're like little teacup owls. Oh, that's so cute sounding. I like teacup owls. Maybe they're invisible owls. Oh. They're like blue peas, but owls. Invis owls. Yeah. Yeah. They're like the dragons, only Link is not magical enough to see them. The answer, Ross, is that they are there. You just don't know it, except by hearing them, in which case you do know it, but you can't see them. They're there, though. They're there. You can't see them during the day because they go away, and you can't see them at night because it's dark. (laughs) (laughs) The the cricket sounds... um that don't tie to actual crickets in the game really trip me up as well. Because you keep looking around for the crickets? Yes, because I want to catch a cricket. Right, of course. Not for any particular reason. You don't really use the crickets for much of anything. Just got to shove it into my bag or whatever. Yeah, of course. Also, the bird sounds that don't tie to the actual birds. I figure they'll sort that out with the next game. No, no, no. They're going to keep having those ambient sounds that suggest the presence of a world that's deeper than the one that you can interact with i fully believe that that's fair zelda games have been like that for a very long time um yeah ten thousand is a distinct number in chinese and i'm assuming japanese as well i mean to say that it's its own unit yes but we've you've mentioned this before on the podcast i think that ten thousand can also mean arbitrarily many yes Definitely. Which is similar to what Ross is talking about here. Yes. It's not just a storytelling thing, though. You would say 10,000 to say that there's too many of something. That's a lot of somethings. 10,000 troubles. Yes. Wan Shi Tong, he who knows 10,000 things. Yes. Yes. He, like, he who knows an arbitrarily high number of things. Wan Shi Tong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to correct my Mandarin. yeah. I wonder how many Mandarin speakers listen to this podcast. My accent's hideous. Well, I've got no metric by which to judge it except for listening to you and Mother, so I don't know. Wanshi uh, Tong doesn't even know all the Pokemon. <laughs> That's like a thousand things by itself, <laughs> though, Crystal. It's, it's it's over 800, but less than a thousand. Uh, that's like a thousand. We're getting up there. Oh, Gen 8 might bring us real close, actually. Now nah, they're going to add like... 30. Is that really? Not, I don't know. Where are we at if we count the lowland forms? Oh, probably, if you count forms, I'm sure we're over a thousand, but you don't count forms. Fair enough. Wait, they have their own Pokedex entries. Ah, they don't have their own number. Alright. I guess the Dewey Decimal System wins out again. God, remember the Dewey Decimal System? Did it go away? (laughs) It still exists. Remember the Dewey Decimal System? Yes. Yeah. I actually think it was replaced. Are you sure? No. That's why I'm Googling it. I know Uh, they dedicated one of the ten to American history. (laughs) Okay. uh, Seems a little biased. Okay, no, the Dewey Decimal System is still really common, apparently. Oh, wait, no. It's computer science, information, general works, philosophy and psychology, religion, social sciences, language... Pure science, technology, arts and recreation, literature, history, and geography. Uh, other than that pure science crack, I guess that's a reasonable 10. I've also seen it described as natural science. Yeah, I think that's a little more, less loaded word. 
Yeah, Dewey Decimal System. It wins out again by signing us to having less than a thousand Pokemon. I think we're at the end of this episode, though. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter, at CamWriter. You can find me at ArcaneCrystal and Patreon.com slash ArcaneCrystal and on other great podcasts on AudioEntropy.com like Let's Place, where we scientifically and objectively rank every video game according to quality. And MCU Complete Me, where we subjectively rank every Marvel movie according to quality. And other podcasts like The Baca Cast, All Along the Watchtower, D-Comedy, Totally Reprise, Let's See a Podcast, Transmission Radio. Go listen to some of them on AudioEntropy.com. Do you want to hear a a Zelda joke? Yes. This comes from GameSpot.com, GameFox.GameSpot.com thread, your best Zelda joke, by user BlueGunStarHero. The duck from A Link to the Past walks into a bar, orders a drink for a cuckoo, and says, put it on my bill. (laughs) That's a stolen-ass joke, but I still like it. They fit it in. I like it. That's good. That's good. (laughs) Well, goodbye. Bye. Bye. (laughs)